Welcome to Let's Get to Work, a podcast with stories of hope and inspiration for people experiencing blindness and vision loss, as well as those wanting to support us. Brought to you by the Employment Committee of the American Council of the Blind, a place where we talk about all things employment, from finding jobs, holding jobs, building careers, and challenging stigmas. Each podcast will consist of interviews with two visually impaired people who have chosen to travel down unique career paths. Thank you for tuning in. Now let's get to work. Welcome to the Employment Committee's podcast. Let's get to work. We are an affiliate of the American Council of the Blind, and we welcome you. Hope you enjoy this podcast. We have two guests today. Our first is Michael Garrett from Texas. Hello, Michael. Hello, Peter. Thank you for joining us. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. So, Michael, my understanding from the bio you sent me is that you're an, uh, an investment banker primarily. It's your primary work. Is that right? It was a, an investment analyst. Investment analyst. Okay. So tell us what, tell us what an investment analyst is. Well, an, an investment analyst is... Uh, primarily uh, has the, the responsibility of following uh, an industry or, or in my case, several industries and becoming the in-house expert on those industries and then making recommendations. Depending on the, uh, the company you work for, uh, you make recommendations. In my case, we we had a uh, back in the old back in the old days when I started. I guess I'm going to show my age. I guess back in when I started, it was called the trust department, and so there were analysts and there were portfolio managers who made recommendations or or structured portfolios for our now we call them high net worth uh, customers. And uh, so I made recommendations of stocks and, uh, and at one point I, I, I helped in the bond uh, area, not as a bond analyst, but uh, making interest rate forecasts because I followed the utilities. Okay, so uh, M- Michael, did you go to a school for the blind as I remember? Yes, high school uh, or uh, oh, in general, part, elementary. Yeah, I graduated from the Texas School for the Blind in Austin. Okay, so what did you learn attending the School for the Blind that prepared you for this work? Studying hard, <laughs> and I suppose from sort of being isolated uh, at the School for the Blind, but also being able to uh, go out into into the community though and it it was the drive and desire to learn things and i always envisioned myself from a career standpoint sitting behind a desk sitting behind a desk and doing something did you have a sense of what that might be when you were uh... At the, uh, you know, in, in high school? It had to be business related. Okay. So you graduated from, uh, from high school. What happened next? Well, I went to Arkansas back in the day. It was called the Arkansas Enterprises for the Blind for a college prep uh, session. And uh, then went back to Austin to attend the University of Texas. And how was that experience at the University of Texas? What did you What did you get oh. from that experience? What did you, what oh. you get from that school besides having a great oh. football team? <laughs> well, back then it was great. We won the national championship. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, okay. Well, but it, it was it was some kind of an experience. Primarily because being blind, or or at that point I was I was partial, and having to 
get through the study process to uh, talk to and negotiate with professors to make sure we had accommodations in terms of exams, uh, even sometimes going, spending time in the uh, you know office hours with the with the professors. Uh, you know, four years of that was that was that was that was an ordeal just to get through that. Uh, in the meantime, when I was a sophomore, I got married, and just before I graduated, in fact, on the day of one of my last finals, my oldest daughter was born. So I had a, I had a, I had a, I had my hands full. I'll say. So what did, what did you learn from your college experience that helped you uh, prepare for the investment advisor work that you ended up doing? Well, when I, when I enrolled, I, when I looked at the syllabus, I, I knew I went to the business school. I looked at the business syllabus and I chose finance as my major. And through taking a lot of the courses, I knew I wanted to work in a bank when I took uh, banking and I knew I wanted to work in a bank. So that's where I structured my, uh, the rest of my, the rest of my time, my, my accounting and, and finance courses were all geared toward working in a bank. So I, I'm guessing that back then being a finance dude as a blind guy was a bit of a challenge. How did you, um, get the accommodations you needed and what accommodations did you need anyway? No doubt. It was, it was an extreme challenge. Uh, I had a few good professors who, who, uh, and one in particular, an accounting professor who would, uh, take, uh, the pad and we didn't have anything to blow up things back then, but he would literally write the examples in large print for me. And I thought that was great. And, uh, and I did pretty well in his class. And a, a few other uh, professors who would make sure that I got my test, uh, you know, either before or after everybody else. But I took, I was able to take the test by myself. And what about the textbooks? Were they, were they in, shall we say, accessible format? No, no, no accessible formats. But back then, the agency would pay for readers. And so, and I don't know if, if anybody's as old as I am, we had those old uh, wall and sack reel-to-reel recorders. And I would give my reader uh, a book and they would record the books and that's the way I got my reading done. I uh, recorded uh, my, my classes and would go home and re-listen to the class, take my notes in braille. Uh, there were a couple of courses I had where I actually had a friend who took, who took notes for me. So, and so that worked out pretty well too. Sure, sure. So when you graduated, when you graduated from uh, from Austin, Texas at Austin, what happened next? It was very difficult. Uh, fortunately, I graduated in '73, and I I couldn't find a job. Nobody wanted to hire me. I had to go back to to the school. You know, they had the recruiting office at the school. I had 65 rejections sent out letters all over the country. I had 65. I counted them. I, put a rubber band around all of those letters. Uh, and I would go into these interviews and these people would say, well, we're gonna have to go back and scratch our heads and see what it is you can do. And I, and I went home one day and I told my wife, I said, you know, I have, I have a lot of guys scratching their heads. And this one guy, he had a bald head cause I could see his, I could see his, the ball of his head his head shining in the light. So, <laughs> so he wasn't scratching much hair. You know? So, but finally I had a great, I changed my interview process. You know, I would go in to the interview, put my cane in the corner and sit down and say, look, I am here 
seeking a job. So I hope that as you interview me, you would interview me uh, believing or uh, see, not seeing that cane because my, my abilities are, are not based on my, my blindness because I've graduated from this school, you know? And so one guy took me up on it, I came to Houston, uh, and the investment department was the part was the department that showed interest in me. It was it was very interesting. The guy who was head of the investment department took me to lunch, and he was so busy watching me eat, and he dropped spaghetti all over his his suit. So. <laughs> uh, yes. So uh, so so was that lunch and ultimately successful? Did, did he actually hire you? He was the one who actually hired me. And uh, who was responsible for cleaning his suit? <laughs> I'm sure he had a good cleaner. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure he did too. So what, so what, was, what did you do in your first job? What, 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 what kind of work did you do? My first, my first job was really just to get acquainted with the whole uh, investment process. So I was sort of a junior analyst. Uh, I worked for a well- uh, known economist, really. His name was Jerry Valentine. He he was a very well-known economist, and he taught me uh, how to. He, j he just taught me the the basic rudiments of analyzing stocks, and uh, and then I I moved on to working under uh, a, a portfolio manager. And he, he taught me how to build portfolios or, or allocate assets in portfolios. And then uh, uh, we, had a, we got a new chief investment officer. Well, he wasn't new, he just uh, he, he, uh, graduated up to, to that position. And he said, I want you to follow in utilities. And then I also want you to forecast interest rates for for the bond section. So I had a, I, I eventually I had a pretty full plate. Uh, I was the in-house utilities expert, and and uh, after that, you know, our the structure of our department changed, and I started to start take on. Uh, additional industries. And so all throughout my career, I worked as the utilities analyst and the environmental services and analyst, uh, waste management. Uh, back then it was Browning Ferris, which is now BFI. Those were the two giants in the, in the industry. And I guess waste management still is, but those were the, the environment services uh, behemoths. So you had to do a lot of research. How did you, how did you do that as a, as, a, as a blind guy? You know, I was very fortunate, uh, Peter, because when I first started, I could see some. So I used the CCTV to do a lot of reading. And, and I, have, I have RP, which you know, is a degenerative, a retinal degenerative disease. So seven years in, I, I, I lost so much vision, I couldn't, I couldn't read, I, not, not with the CCTV. And uh, I'm sure some people may know what an Opticon is. I went to Philadelphia, the, the bank sent me to Philadelphia to train to, to get an Opticon. And usually that is a two-week training course and, it, and, and additional training. I finished that training in four days. Wow. That's how bad I needed, I needed it. I came back uh, and I used the Opticon. It was noisy. <laughs> and, and slow, as I remember, right? It, it's and, not, it's and not the very, fastest way to get and, stuff read. Yeah. And very slow and meticulous, but... You know, and, 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 and think about it, you had to, I had to, I had to read reports, build earnings models and write reports 
uh, hand handwrite back then. I had to handwrite the report, build the the model, and take it to the typing pool to have it to have it typed and present it to our investment committee. So when you said write a report, did you actually write in large print back then, or did you how 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 was Braille? How did Braille fit all this, if at all? I I used Braille to take my own notes, but I wrote. I had to handwrite everything I did and take it to, uh, take it to the typing pool. Uh, eventually, I think I had a typewriter of some sort and I used that for a minute. But in 1985, I got my first talking computer. And uh, that helped that helped for a while. That, that was that was that was great because I could actually do a lot of the word processing myself. And it wasn't until the '90s when uh, the, the I'm sure people remember the old Kurzweil machine, the mm -hmm. big one. We had one at our at our downtown library. So some days I would go over and and uh, take reports over there and spend two or three hours at the library reading reports until finally the bank bought me one for myself wow. at the office. Yep. And I mean, they were good to me. I'll tell you that I, 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 they were good to me. Uh, so they bought me that when computers were updated. They bought me a com new computer with JAWS. Uh, and, and it, it was absolutely great. Uh, the more technology improved, the more productive I was because there was a time when I followed, uh, probably 10 industries at a time at one time, nine or 10 industries. So did you get any of the, uh, any of the information you needed, uh, through audio means? I mean, you know, for example, I would imagine there are, you know, there are radio uh, summaries of Wall Street or business stuff. Was, was that of any help to you? Not, not then, not at okay. that time. Okay. But, but, but it got better over time, I would imagine. It, it got, it got a lot better over time. Uh, as, as I said, as technology improved, uh, it, it became a lot easier to, uh, to access information. Uh, Michael, uh, since many folks have never heard the Opticon who are listening to the show, can you describe in 30 seconds what the Opticon allowed you to do? In your, in your, uh, in your right hand, you had a, a camera, a little, a little camera on, on a wire. In your left hand, you put your left index finger in a little tray and you glide the camera across your page and it read one letter at a time. Now, for some people who who are very tactile sensitive, you know, they were able to read very fast. And I built up speed, but reading one letter at a time, line by line, and that's why it was it was slow, very meticulous. But the the, the thing I enjoyed about it though was it was it was. Uh, true you know you 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 when you read something you 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 actually knew it, it it was it was there it was what it said right right and 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 the letters you saw were in print correct they weren't in braille they were in print they were in, they were in print yeah so you really had to know your print alphabet to make that to make that work oh yes yeah so talk to me about you said the uh folks at chase which is where you work not chase was it chase yeah it was chase well Originally, yes, it is. It, originally, it was Texas Commerce Bank. Okay. And of course, after doing all the mergers, uh, Chase, we ended up being Chase and then J.P. Morgan Chase. Right, J.P. Morgan Chase. So talk to me about your relationship with your supervisors. Um, I would imagine that they had, a learn, they had a lot to learn as well, right? You, you were doing things differently than they were used to. How, how did that work? One of one of the most interesting ones. I, I told you that that the guy uh, assigned me to, to to work with the fixed income folks, the bond folks. I thought he was a very 
tough, hard-nosed guy. Now, now remember, I'm a young, I'm a young guy, about 25, 26 years old. And but but I, I always had this sort of advocacy in my in my heart, in my mind. Uh, I took him the book, if you if you could see what I hear by uh what was it, Tom uh, Tom Walton, I believe his name was. I I, I don't I, I took, don't know. I took him the I took him that book to have him read it because I didn't think he was sensitive enough to me as a blind person because I I felt like I could do anything anybody else could do if they, if that guy could do anything I I could too and uh, so I don't know if he ever read the book but that's when he assigned me to to work with the fixed income people in addition to following the utilities so. So he, he, was, he was a champion of mine, I think. Uh, I worked for several different people over the time. And the, the, the whole point was to go in, to do the work, present the work, uh, and, and, and be sure that what I did was quality. Mm -hmm. And I'll never forget that this wasn't a supervisor, but this was one of the portfolio managers. And I had a lot of respect for her because she was one of these people who was really, I thought she was really hard nosed, you know? And uh, she, she uh, met me downstairs one day at, at the bank. And she said, oh, she said, let me tell you, you know, there was, there was a, a typo in your report. And she says, you probably missed that and I know that wasn't your quality of work. Uh. You're talking about a guy who was, <laughs> who was, I mean, I was, I was, I was impressed. Yeah. I would imagine that, you were. that she of all people, cause she was, she was a very, uh, very astute and, and uh, a, a high ranking uh, portfolio manager. So I was, I was impressed that she she's noticed or felt that I, I produced quality work. You know, that was, that was, that was good. <laughs> so uh, you had to write these reports. Did you have to present them as well? Like you'd, you'd make presentations in front of a, in front of groups. Yes. So talk about yes. that. Uh, how, how was that? Uh, what, what accommodations did you use to make those presentations? Well, well, primarily it was just, you know, you would write the reports, uh, they would read, we, we, we would end up in an investment packet. Several of us would write reports and we would have a meeting every week. Now I didn't have a report due every week, but I had to attend the meeting. But when I was recommending a stock or recommending the sale of a stock, I would write a report and I'd have to present that in our investment meeting. Uh, and uh, so it was just, uh, you know, I would make my notes in Braille and go in, present, present the case. They would either accept or reject the stock. Um, and it really got fun when, when we joined Chase and joined JP Morgan and we, we had to present to portfolio managers all over the country and, uh, so they would conference call in and we would be in our Houston office and we would present our reports and, and, uh, you know, I would hold the microphone in one hand and read braille, read my braille notes in the other hand and, uh, make recommendations to buy, hold or sell. So, uh, that's, uh, that's, rather impressive i would say uh can you so getting back to your supervisor so the, uh you always you obviously did quality work um how did they support you well like i said they bought me they bought me my first Kurzweil reader um they made sure that i had uh, speech on my computer um any any other uh, 
accommodations that I needed. Uh, uh, they tried to supply me with those. Uh, the uh, the librarian or or our our mail person, the person who would separate all of the mail uh, in and uh, give it to each analyst or each portfolio manager, would uh, sometimes come by and spend a couple of couple of hours sorting my mail for me, and and in some cases would actually read read some of the reports for me. That's so they they accommodated me very very well and i don't think they would have had i made had i not made some pretty decent uh recommendations and one of the the big feathers in my cap was when uh uh when uh when the portfolio managers and especially those portfolio managers in in some of our branches would would say well what does michael say about this you know I always, one guy said, I always make money when Michael makes a recommendation. <laughs> that's, 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 that's totally awesome. So um, were you promoted? You must've been promoted through, I mean, obviously you're given more responsibility. Were you promoted, uh, you know, to, to higher levels during your career at Chase? I did. I was, I, I was promoted. I, I actually made it to uh, vice president. Right. And you know, in a bank, there are a lot of vice presidents. Yes. Okay, but 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 at least you make that you you make that uh, climb up the tree. You know, you, I was a senior analyst. I was a, a, a assistant vice president, and then I moved up to to vice president. I actually was a supervisor. I had a junior analyst under me, and uh, I think we did one of the best jobs of our group. Because at the end of the year, we would uh, we would count up all of the reports that we that we did, and she and I, I think one year we had about 44, 44 reports. There are only fifty two weeks in a year, right? Right. We had about forty four reports plus quarterly uh, quarterly reports, and we were far and away. Uh, we outperformed all of the all of the other uh, teams in our in our group, so <laughs> so I was pretty proud of that. How do you think you did that? Well, you know, it was just I thought we were just doing what what we were supposed to do. Right. So, you know, they expected us to do to do uh, something, you know, on on just about every week or every other week. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So in the last couple of minutes, can you, can you talk to folks a little younger than both of us and give advice if folks are interested in doing work like you did, how best to prepare and what skills they need to, to uh, develop? Well, if you want to be in the, in the field of investments, it's a lot, it's a lot more accommodating today because you have access to speech. You have access to all sorts of technology. Uh, you know, one of the problems I had was building models, but but now you've got all of those things. And a model is just it's a projection of what a company is going to earn. And uh, but now you have all of these, uh, all the technology, all of the the computerized uh, technology that, that you can access, but. It's 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 all about being able to communicate, get your communication skills uh, uh, ready, uh, being able to analyze material, and and be able to put that material in 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 a word format. I mean, not a, not a, not a word format, but in, in words that that convey a meaning. In other words, to tell a story, right? You you put your you get your data and you put it in a way that people can understand it. Exactly, and make and make a case. But so you know, investments uh, is is a is it's it's somewhat of a guesswork, but it's it's a it's an educated guess 
and you have history to back you and you have forecasting to 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 help you as you as you try to make a recommend make recommendations and i'm i'm speaking as an analyst so <laughs> yeah so because that's that's what i was and 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 you know you you can forecast things and you use you use the resources that that are out there to make to make forecasts and you you uh, put forth those those ideas and recommendations and if you've got good foundation and history uh, and good information you can you can basically fork, make a, a, a decent forecast and make people money thank you michael this has been absolutely fascinating thank you for taking time to talk with us uh, this is well, peter thank you Al peter thank you michael this is peter Altro from uh, let's get to work. All right, and we're back to let's get to work. And my name is Carrie Muth, one of the employment committee members. And today I am talking with Susan Hull from North Bend, Oregon, which is like through the stoplight in from Coos Bay, Oregon. Hi, Susan. How are you today? I'm awesome. How are you, Carrie? Doing okay. Doing okay. So, um, <laughs> you know, one of our things, you know, was you know, we're interviewing people and I thought it would be really great for you to talk about, um, you know, you, you do a home-based daycare. And mm -hmm. so can you um, kind of, you know, tell us why you chose to go that direction for a career? Well, my oldest child was coming up on a year and it was time to get back to work and earn some money to pay the bills. And um, you know, I'm a very protective person when it comes to my kiddos, and I'm not real trusting of other people. So I thought daycare would be right up my alley. So nice. I could I could watch kids spend the day with my own and, uh, you know, get those bills paid, but not have to trust somebody else with my kid. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I started, and I absolutely love it. So it's been 17 years, and I would do it all over again. Just love Great. my job. So. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. So, so we'll take a time more back in history. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? You know, was you um, blind since birth? Kind of a little bit of your educational history, that type of stuff. Sure. Um, when I was about eight years old, my parents realized I was having trouble seeing things, and you know, as a child, I didn't because <laughs> it just was normal for me. But they did. <laughs> Um, took me to a night doctor and I grew up in Lakeport, California, which is a tiny little town of about 5,000 and it's the biggest city in our area. So I went to my mom's eye doctor and he said, I can't tell you anything. I won't even attempt to treat her and sent me to a specialist where they discovered I have panuveitis, which is an old person's disease. But fortunately, my eyesight kind of declined a little bit but then it leveled out and it's been the same since I was nine or ten um, at that point we were attending a private church school that had no idea what to do with a disabled child <laughs> so I did a lot of stuff with readers when there was somebody who could um, fell way behind um, ended up back at the public school small town again not sure what to do with the blind kid. <laughs> we did have an itinerant teacher that would come through every week or two um, and work with the special needs kids. But, you know, when you're blind once a week or twice, you know, once every two weeks is not enough. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> so at that point, they decided that the school for the blind in Fremont, California was the best placement for me. And I was 13 then. <laughs> and it was absolutely the best placement. I discovered that I was not the freak. <laughs> there were other people just like me <laughs> with Amazing. the same problems. Yes, it was crazy. <laughs> um, and I ended up mainstreaming through the high school in our area and graduated at that high school and the school for the blind. And, uh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Um, and I, I know you did do some college um, later. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yes. Um, I went to Chabot, which is in Hayward, California, mm -hmm. and did all my early childhood classes. And then I've done our local college here in 
in Oregon and did all the human service classes. So I've told my kids, you need to take the classes you don't like first. <laughs> because otherwise, you get through all the fun stuff and don't want to finish. <laughs> Personal experience. <laughs> don't do the fun stuff first. <laughs> so I have everything I need in early childhood and human services, but not the hard stuff. So I haven't graduated. <laughs> Not all those core classes. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so, so, and I so keep thinking know. about going back, but now I have kids. So. <laughs> yeah. That makes it a lot cha- more challenging, uh, doesn't yeah. it? <laughs> <laughs> it does. <laughs> and, and so when you was uh, growing up and early in your career, you know, what kind of things were you thinking um, employment-wise for your life? I always knew I wanted to do something with kids, mm-hmm. um, whether it's teaching, um, having a family. I knew something with children. In high school, I did the um, work program. We actually worked in a lab school with, with preschoolers. and um, So I knew I wanted to go along that direction. Mm-hmm. I just hadn't figured out where. And, um, you know, I, I helped with my sister's kids for a while and that kind of kept me in that in that direction of children so so yeah I've always known I wanted to work with kids I just didn't know what what it would look like okay so so then what about the human services what were you doing in that realm with your college I, I was leaning towards working with families um, but you know still really just striving for where where God was going to put me <laughs> mm-hmm trying to work out those details. Yeah. Nice. So uh, how many kiddos do you have in your daycare? I have three right now. Up until COVID, I was registered. And when you're registered, you can do up to 10 kids counting your own. And um, then COVID came along and changed all the rules. Mm -hmm. So I decided that with my personal needs and the needs of my kiddos, I let that lapse and I don't have to be quite so strict. I still follow a lot of the, the protocols um, mm-hmm. just for safety, but some of the things, you know, that just aren't practical with me being very hands-on, I can ignore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it just made sense. So right now I have three. Mm-hmm. And, and what age of kids have you had in your daycare? Um, um, zero to three is my niche. I love the under three-year-olds. I've done older kids, but I really Mm -hmm. love the little guys. (laughs) (laughs) So I have two toddlers right now that just fill my my day with joy. (laughs) We're just silly and they do crazy stuff. And, you know, even when I'm taking them off the table for the 43rd time, it's a good day. (laughs) So what does your typical day look like running a daycare out of your home? Oh my goodness, a lot of taking kids off the table. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Like I said, toddlers are fun. They're they're into everything and on everything and looking for trouble. (laughs) And they're just getting little buggers, huh? (laughs) They are. And they just want to know everything in their world and have no sense of danger or. Nope, they're just checking it out. <laughs> so, so are you up early for kids to be dropped off? My first little guy gets here at 7.30. And I used mm-hmm. to do 6 to 6. And I really had to struggle with that because I know families need those extra hours. But my family was suffering. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I adjusted my times to what's practical for me as well as you know my kids and mm-hmm. you know it's just um, you know when a parent calls me and says I need child care and if it doesn't fit in my budget it's like I'm, I'm really sorry how about and I try to send them somewhere else yeah 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 because it is important to take care of your family first very much so so um so do you have a, a set routine during the day like meals at certain times and snacks and you know a, a set oh, routine definitely. you kind of follow yeah oh definitely yeah set meals um you know I have 
kids who take two naps. So those are scheduled in. And um, during that second nap, I'm cleaning and doing paperwork and all things I didn't do because I have toddlers. <laughs> but yes, very much so. <laughs> I think, and, and, you know, you've shared with me in the past too, that you spend a lot of your evenings cleaning because don't you clean like every day for the next day? Yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> yeah. A lot of cleaning. Um, so, so you mentioned about you were certified and those requirements. So, um, if you're not certified currently, what are the requirements? And then if you could talk a little bit about what extra requirements there are when you are certified. Um, when you're registered, you can have more kids. That's the big difference. Um, being unregistered, I can only have three. If I were registered, I could do up to 10. Um, okay. And, but to be registered, you have to, well, and I do anyway, you have to have CPR and first aid, um, evacuation mm-hmm. plans. Um, you have to have follow up, uh, past a home inspection. So smoke detectors, fire extinguishers, uh, safety mm-hmm. plugs for little kids. And um, it's really just proving you're a safe place, which, you mm-hmm. know, even unregistered, you know, parents aren't going to want to leave their kids somewhere where they're not going to be safe. Yeah. So I still follow those rules just because, yeah, mm-hmm. these these guys are precious. <laughs> <laughs> so so how how do you do things? You know, what do you think you do differently because of your visual impairments with the kiddos? You know, there's some obvious things like using my computer for paperwork and such, but there's a few other things. I always tell my parents, one of the first things I do when I get um, kids who are mobile is I teach them to answer when they're called. Mm-hmm. It is so important when we're out in the yard and, you know, I've lost track of somebody that they respond when I call their name. <laughs> so that is like uh, yeah. the first thing we work on, even before we step out the back door into the yard. It's just that mm-hmm. response. And um, I have kids that pick up really quick and I have kids that don't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I have yeah. other kids who will tell me where the first kid is. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> the, the informers, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and sometimes there's using bells, just like moms and dads would do. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I'm really, really careful about my front door being latched and secured so I don't lose any children. <laughs> um, it's a lot of just common sense that moms and dads would do, but maybe not think about it or, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's just in the routine, but I've, I've given it a thought because that's my job. Yeah. Um, so I'm very and, careful about where objects are and, you know, that's part of the house cleaning. I vacuum every day to make sure there's nothing on the floor that can be swallowed um, mm-hmm. because I have little kids. Oh yeah, so. definitely. And have you had um, issues when parents are looking for daycare? Do you share up front about your visual impairment? How does that work? I really struggled with this. Um, Mm -hmm. At the very beginning, I didn't. It just never occurred to me to tell those first few parents because it's like, you know, it's normal to me. It's nothing special. And then I realized that parents were hiring me because I'm, I'm, low vision, not totally blind. So in my own home, people don't always realize it. So it occurred to me down the road that parents had hired me, not realizing that I was low vision. (laughs) And then then I was stuck. At what point do you tell them to figure it out? (laughs) So so eventually, I went back and forth um, in my information packet of information for parents. Number one is I'm low vision, have been since Mm -hmm. I was eight years old, ask me (laughs) anything (laughs) so that parents know right off the top, it just solved that. And I know that there are parents who haven't hired me because I'm low vision. Mm -hmm. And, and I've learned after 17 years of doing this to not take it personal to just, you know, if that's their attitude, then I probably don't want to work with them anyway. (laughs) (laughs) So the parents who choose me to use my services, knowing that I'm low vision are amazing. Mm -hmm. I've had fabulous parents. Um, And, and I don't have to worry about how to tell them because they already know. (laughs) (laughs) 
Is is it tough when the kids leave your daycare? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Definitely. Um, you know, I've had kids that we just adored and we call them our weekday family because they mm-hmm. really do become part of our family. We see them, you know, eight or nine hours a day, five days a week, and they just mesh right in with my group. Mm-hmm. And uh, whether they're the kids that are our favorites or the kids that just drove me up the wall, we miss them. <laughs> you know, we miss them all. <laughs> and uh, we'll sit down with the, my kids who are, you know, I have two teenagers now and talk mm-hmm. about the kids we've had over the years. Sometimes they remember kids that I've forgotten about and we're like, oh, yeah. Yeah, I wonder <laughs> what they're doing now. <laughs> That's great. I've been to your house a few times. Sometimes it can get pretty crazy. At your oh, yeah. home. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> Thank God for nap time, right? <laughs> yeah, <quiet>. exactly. <laughs> well, and I, and I will say, I feel like you've done an awesome job because your own daughters, you know, your oldest daughter has you know, come around, helped me with my twin granddaughters for us to go on outings because I'm, you know, pretty much totally blind outside. And, you know, mm-hmm. there's definite, you can tell that she was just raised in a loving, wonderful home um, and used Thank to those you. little kidlets. So, you know, that's been a great thing. Yeah. My kids so, have um, great skills with little kids. <laughs> they do. <laughs> that, that yes. True. <laughs> what, so, what and they know how benefits? much work little kids are. <laughs> Yeah. So um, other than computer stuff, you know, other than computers for doing your paperwork, is there other any other kind of technology kind of stuff you use, even if it's low tech stuff? Um, I use the CCTV for quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I have a handheld magnifier that gets dragged around and the seeing AI on my phone. Praise mm-hmm. God for gadgets. <laughs> and then, um, yeah. And then uh, raised dots for my stove and microwave and things along that line. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's not a lot that I use because I have, since I do have little kids and I try to do more imaginative, less electronic type things with the little mm-hmm. guys. Mm-hmm. So not too much. So are you using, um, do you read to the little people and are you using Braille when you read? I them? do. Yes, I have a collection of board books that are brailled. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Dots for Tots does some nice books. Um, fortunately, in grade one. <laughs> <laughs> so I need more grade two. <laughs> Those little kids are patient with my slow grade one reading. <laughs> well, if I was having to read Braille, they'd have to be very, very patient. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm just slow reading Braille periods, so. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> so if there's um, people out there listening today thinking, you know, I'd really like to run a, you know, work with kiddos and daycare, what kind of advice would you give them? Um, first, if you're doing home daycare, your, your, plate, your home makes the first impression. So it needs to be clean, safe, happy place to be. Um, but then second is you. So I know Mike had talked earlier about communication and it's the same with daycare. You really need to be able to um, connect with parents in just a few minutes because mm-hmm. that's all you're going to get in that interview is a couple minutes. <laughs> so, if, so communication is the next big thing. Being able to hear what people are saying um, and not necessarily in words, but where their concerns are and um, express that you are going to love their kids as much as they do, or sure, give it Mm -hmm. a good try. Because those little people are, they're not replaceable. They are valuable treasures. And they, you know, that parent wants to know that you're going to treat their child like a valuable treasure and Mm -hmm. uh, make sure he is safe and happy and, you know, in a good place. And um, is there a, a network that helps, you know, that, that you're able to reach out if you're having issues or things like that? Is there a network for? Lots of them. Um, in our area, we have a whole um, resource. 
and it just slipped my mind what it's called. <laughs> because, and I call them all the time. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> but yes, different areas have different resources. Um, we actually have two one ones you can call, and um, it'll connect you to places. But you know, I've even found Facebook has daycare provider chat rooms or Facebook pages, mm-hmm. and um, and they're really nice because you can go online and see that other people are having the exact same, you know trials and <laughs> stressors that you're having <laughs> and they're excited about the same things you're excited about so nice. it is definitely um a good thing to connect with other people in your same field mm-hmm. yeah because yeah, I because I know if you're spending all these hours you know with little people all the time sometimes you just need a little adult communication <laughs> Yes, yes. Yeah. Sometimes by yeah. the end of the day, my brain is kind of mushy. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to translate toddler speech. <laughs> and you forget what adult speech sounds like. <laughs> That's funny. So, so what do you think has been your biggest challenge with running the daycare in your home? I think I would say staying organized. Mm-hmm. So, and I'm a pretty organized person, but sometimes things just get away from me. So staying on top of things, um, keeping up on that paperwork, um, you know, really making sure you're communicating with parents. I do a lot of texting, which helps me solve that issue. But, you know, just really staying on top of stuff and keeping that organization. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's yeah, probably... That- it's probably mm-hmm. the case for most jobs. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, that's that I think. And I think um, as visually impaired people, you know, that's one of our big challenges. That's how one mm-hmm. of our big skills that helps us um, in our yes. environment. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm thinking being able to think ahead of things that might come up. So you've already got a solution in your, in the back of your mind before you've come up to the next problem. Mm-hmm. you know somebody has said thinking out of their box and yeah because my solution may not look the same as the next person um, yeah so being able to really just grab all the information you can and then figuring out what works for you mm-hmm. and then running with it <laughs> <laughs> so so what has been one of your more memorable moments with daycare in your home, other than taking them off the table 43 times in a day. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. Uh, So many things. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I had a little guy. Oh oh my goodness. (laughs) I actually, I'm going to change the story. I'm sitting on my couch one day and my daughter's about three and I've got a daycare child who's two. And Mm -hmm. I realize all of a sudden that they have left my front door. Okay, back to that whole door security. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I get up and I open the door and I'm like, Robin Joy, what are you doing? Oh, uh-huh. Dakota and I are going to Walmart. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> oh, yeah, children. <laughs> That's funny because... Because Robin doesn't mind going to Walmart for you nowadays. Not anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of funny. (laughs) Ah, kids. (laughs) So, so have you ever had to um, fire a family or, you know, ask that children weren't blending in? And how did that work? I have. And it's really hard. Um, My, I've had I've had kids that were challenging and I've had some biters that I have to very politely say, you know, we just can't do that here. Cause I have a lot of kids to watch over. You know? Yeah. And um, so usually when I do have to let a family go, it's a safety issue. Mm-hmm. I've had, I've had some older kids that really just outgrew me. Um, mm-hmm. You know, my target age is zero to three. So when they start coming up on four and I always say they outgrow me because you know, it, it really mm-hmm. is what they're doing is they need more than I'm offering. And sometimes yeah. it's hard for parents to start looking when they've been with me a couple of years and 
mm-hmm. you know, their kids are happy here, but they'll be happier somewhere else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So with, um, you know, with COVID, I know you've shared that in the, in the daycare realm that a lot of daycare providers have been finding it really challenging as schools have moved to home-based schooling. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that? I know that that hasn't, I know your own <laughs> kids, you've, you've, you get those challenges having your own kids you know, doing school more from home and not necessarily the daycare, but, you know, with those added resources, just some of the added things that sometimes parents expect out of daycare providers, that's not typically offered. I've heard, I've heard lots of providers complain because parents are Mm -hmm. expecting the daycare person to do the homeschooling, whether it be downloading um, class information, connecting kids, you know, the whole scheduling and, you know, you know, it's hard when you have one at home. I have three and fortunately two can pretty much do their own stuff. So mm-hmm. I only have one to worry about and that's a challenge, but I can't even imagine doing six or eight kids all on computers, um, you know, with different schools and different programs. So I've heard a lot of stress <laughs> over that. Uh-huh. But fortunately for myself, I just, I have little kids, so. Yeah. No computers. (laughs) No computers, just, you know, washing the blocks or whatever. (laughs) Yep. Yes. And that's a lot of washing the blocks. (laughs) So, so uh, one one last question I'd like to ask you is if, if you were looking for daycare for your own kids, what kinds of things would you look for and what kind of questions would you ask? That's an awesome question because I've actually tell my parents, the same type of advice all the time when I'm trying to move them on. <laughs> um, ask, ask a bazillion questions. Um, mm-hmm. And don't feel bad if you leave the site and think of something in the car. Send them a message mm-hmm. and ask. Um, that's what I tell my parents. Send me a message in an hour mm-hmm. when you think of all the questions you forgot to ask me. <laughs> um, and then next is, and unfortunately, COVID has changed the rules. But my other advice was, Go somewhere where you can stop in at any time and check on your kids. Mm -hmm. Um, COVID has kind of changed that rule because now we have the space and so forth. But if you Mm -hmm. can't see what your children are doing during the day, you know, somebody doesn't want you to come in because it might interrupt their program, then what else are you interrupting? Yeah. So you want to make sure you can check on your kids. Mm -hmm. Um, Like I said, unfortunately, COVID has kind of messed that up, but after COVID. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I, I have big windows that I open. So, you know, drive by, mm-hmm. look in my window. <laughs> I'm not hiding anything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I will say as a, as a parent to um, my oldest son is 32. I can't hardly believe it. But when mm-hmm. he was um, about one was the first time he was in daycare. Um, and one of the big things I learned was that the first two places he was at he never really adjusted to and you know these are pre-verbal kiddos um the third place that I went to oh my gosh he was so happy and you know really listening to your kids um can be a big factor are they happy to go there and yeah there's always that uh, right because there's always that adjustment period Yes, ahead, right. Sorry. And sometimes we just don't connect. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I had a little girl who came with me. She was here uh, three weeks. The first two weeks, she cried every single day. And I, I even called mom to get her early. We tried everything mm-hmm. and she just never settled in. Um, yeah. Finally settled her in the third week and dad got laid off. So it just took her forever. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I ever would have been the, you know, perfect match for her um you know I didn't have time to figure it out (laughs) yeah so that's the other thing I tell parents is you really got to find the person who who matches well with your family because Mm -hmm. you know we're all different and uh you know I might be awesome for one family and not for the next yeah 
Well, I want to thank you. I think we're about out of time here. So um, thank you so much for sharing um, how you run your home-based daycare. You've been listening to Let's Get to Work, a podcast from the Employment Committee at the American Council of the Blind. Have questions, episode ideas, or feedback? Feel free to email Brooke Jostet, the committee chair, at B-R-O-O-K-E underscore J-O-S-T-A-D at Comcast.net. Until next time, work it.